Thanks for clicking play on the East Lake Tri-Cities Talks podcast. If you're new to this, we're trying to be the best church option for people in the Tri-Cities who aren't typically into church. We hope today's talk inspires you to take next steps in doing life in the way Jesus modeled and taught. If you're ever interested in being a part of one of our in-person gatherings, they take place every Sunday at the Uptown Theater in Richland. Check the website for current times. And regardless of what you look like, who you voted for, or where your tattoos are, we'd love to have you. But for now, here's our most recent talk.
Well, good morning. Welcome to Eastlake and welcome to Eastlake Online. For those of you catching this thing online or on replay, we're glad that you are here as well. Thanks for being here in person. For those of you who made it here in person, uh, we are on part three in the conclusion uh, of a series on time, uh, a series called The Time of Your Life, the intersection of uh, our past, our present, and our future, and all of that good stuff. And uh, we've been looking at it. It, it, it. This is part three, which means it's like the conclusion of a conversation that we've been having. And so if this interests you, or if I, you feel like I jumped to some conclusions on some things, and you're like, there's still more meaning left, that, left on that bone, there are two parts to this that have led up to this today. So you can go back to eastlakedrycities.com slash talks and catch up on that. Or we have an app you can download and follow along there. On that app is also a note sheet. We're going to go through a big passage in just one second. Um, and I'm going to kind of speed through it. So if you want to follow along with that, that's probably the best uh, way to do it on the screen on your phone. Don't worry. I won't think that you're checking your fantasy football teams or, or uh, you know, shopping or whatever. So um, here's been the layout or the process for this series so far. I, I introduced a text. We've been looking at the, uh, a passage from the book of Ecclesiastes. More on that in a second. Then we do a brief interpretation of that text. Um, typically, it's been verse by verse. This one will do a little bit differently, concept by concept. And then a little bit of a, here's a takeaway. Here's something to think about uh, to kind of shape your week, hopefully, this week. Um, so anyways, the text uh, comes from Ecclesiastes again today. We're just going through uh, the chapters. I think we were in chapter four the first week, seven uh, last week, and then this will be a little bit of chapter 10 and part of uh, chapter 11. Excuse me, 11, part of chapter 12, that's what it is. Um, Ecclesiastes, just to catch you up, if you haven't been here, is a, a, one of the books of wisdom in the Old Testament. Um, they, they had different genres. They had history stuff. They had law stuff. Uh, they had poetry, and this falls into the category of wisdom. And the concept behind Ecclesiastes was simply um, the presentation was somebody who has supposedly been all of the places that you wish you could have gone uh, has all the money or influence. Um, if, if you've ever thought, oh, you know what, if I just had more money, then I'd be great. He's like, I, had, I have money. I have all of the things that you think are ch you're chasing when it comes to happiness and fulfillment and contentment in life. I have all of those things, and I'm still dealing with the despair of existence. I still struggle with meaningless in a, you know, a meaningless existence. Um, I still work through it. That doesn't mean I have, uh, you know, I'm completely in despair, but just don't think that uh, this next thing is going to solve all the problems. I've got the next thing. It didn't solve all my problems. We still have some, some work to do in that. So it's a very, very um, cynical uh, book. It's a, it's a great book for kind of a modern day read. If you're, if you're kind of caught up and like, you know, everything's kind of broken, everything's why we do it any of this anyways, you would love Ecclesiastes. All right, Ecclesiastes chapter 11. We're going to be reading from the NRSV, New Revised Standard Version today, a little bit different translation than what I'm used to, but it uh, had a great take on it. Um, the, the title, the subtitle heading uh, says uh, this on top of like, here's what you're about to read. It says, remember your creator while young. So here's going to be some wisdom from somebody who has, is well along in their years whose perceived audience is someone who is young. Okay, it's gonna, this one's going to be primarily about age, just so you know. All right. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. Even those who live for many years should rejoice in them all. You let, let them remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. So like we're circling that word. We're going to come back to that a couple times. Rejoice, young man, while you are young, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. So both good and bad, it's all vanity, but, you know, chase, be young. Just do you. Follow the inclination of your heart and the desire of your eyes, but know that for all of these things, God will bring you into judgment. Banish anxiety from your mind and put away pain from your body for youth 
and the dawn of life are vanity. Then he goes on. This is now the next chapter, but it's still the same thought. Remember your creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come and the years draw near when you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return with the rain on the day when the guards of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the women who grind cease, different, it's flour, that kind of grind. So, you know, mind out of the gutter there. Cease working uh, because they are few and those who look through the doors or the windows see dimly when the doors on the street are shut and the sound of the grinding is low. Again, mind in the right spot. And the one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of uh, song are brought low. When one is afraid of heights and terrors, uh, and terrors are in the road, the almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along and the desire fails because all must go to the eternal home and the mourners will go about the streets. It's a very, very uplifting here. So before, then it goes into like this usefulness category. Listen to this. Before the silver cord is snapped, what good is a cord? To hold things together. When a cord is snapped, what is it good for? Nothing, right? When it, before the silver cord is snapped and the golden bowl is broken, all these things that are prized possessions, what is a bowl supposed to do? It's going to be to preserve and carry water, but it's broken. What do you do with broken bowls? Throw them away. Some of you said fix them. You don't fix them. You throw them away. And the pitcher is broken, the fountain and the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the breath returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the teacher, all is vanity. All right. So what we see in this text is a bunch of wisdom uh, about this specific with age, again, and, and youth and being young and usefulness and when desire begins to fail out in the good times and the bad. And then you begin to say this stuff about vanity and everything. But overarching, there is a common kind of takeaway from this, which is essentially some old guy looking at things going saying, oh, to be young again, right? Oh, to be young again. We've heard that. We've seen that. It's a common trope in movies and books and whatever else. Um, This last Friday night, two nights ago in this very room, I attended a birthday party uh, for a friend who turned 50 years old, 50 years old. Uh, And I talked to Kylie on the drive over and I was like, we have friends who are turning 50. Like that just was a reality of like we're getting old. This isn't like somebody that I play pickle with or who does my taxes. Those guys are always turning 50, right? I'm talking about, this is a friend. This is, I would even go to, you know, if he'll grant me the, the, the liberty to say a peer of mine who's turning 50. And I came up to Jake that night and said, dude, if you were a car, you would get a special license plate that is only reserved for antiques. It's not really supposed to be driven on public roads because it's not really that reliable. That's how old you are. Now, if you're over 50 right now, you're mean, that's hurtful. And I got some critiques after service to be like, hey, be careful how much you, you know, dwell on this. Some of us are over 50 and I, I, I apologize. But I sat there and like, it was just, a, it was like, a, oh my gosh, frailty, like frailty of life uh, of, of just how old we are. And, and we, we've, we've done this before. Like we've talked in past series about, like we just finished up a series just a couple weeks ago on death. And we said, memento mori, remember that, you know, we, we said that remember your mortality and remember that life is a, is a gift and there's a timeline. And, and we even brought like a 12 foot skeleton on the stage to be able to just really dive that into you. No, I'm just kidding. There was a rock festival that left it over last night. So anyways, that's if you're like, why is this here? That's why that's there. But um, that 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 idea for us of of we sit here and and I, I sat in the room that night and I go, I watched as as um, 
people danced and uh, they, they sang karaoke and they drank to the point where it's probably gonna hurt the next day and they're gonna pay for it. And I thought to myself, oh, to be young again. Look at them dancing so free without any perception of like what other people are gonna think or how much that's gonna hurt tomorrow morning. It's just like, oh, oh, to be young again, right? And that's, that's essentially what this sort of is. We're presented here with this futility of somebody who is well along the years, reminding them of the fleetingness of their, of their youth, who offers it and says, here's some wisdom if you'll hear it. Now, the problem that we always have with uh, people who dispense wisdom is there's a futility involved in dispensing wisdom because it's not always well-received because if it was well-received, they wouldn't be lacking wisdom anymore. They would be along in years. And so we've told them again and again and again and again, how many times have you told your kids, uh, like, pick up your clothes, you know this. Like, Clive, we flush the toilet after we use it, don't we, buddy? Yes, you know that, right? Then why, oh, why? I'm just airing my dirty laundry. Anyways, there's a futility into doing this. And so uh, there's an author who I've been reading as, as a leading up to this series, as kind of resource for this idea. Uh, James K. Smith wrote that this, this, the very act of bequeathing wisdom or dispensing wisdom to the next generation is oftentimes perceived as a defiance of despair. I'm gonna do it even though I know you're probably not gonna hear me. Even though in, in the depths of my heart, I know that this isn't gonna change things, I can't help myself from telling you what I know or what I think you need to hear. Now, what you do with it is, is up there, right? And, and, and to some degree, it's not even their fault per se. For, for a, a, a large, like for a big percentage of us, it's just impossible for us to begin to grasp. When people go, oh, you're young, it's gonna come so fast, you're like, yeah, but is it? The, I like, I do this. I hear this all the time. Like, people will be like, um, they'll hear, they'll ask me the ages of my kids, and I'll be like, well, fourteen. And we have twins who are nine, and then and then a four or five year old. I'm like, oh, it goes so fast. And I nod. And I'm like, yeah, it does. You know, blink of an eye. But I don't actually believe that, right? As you as parents don't think this is going fast. This is not going fast, guys. This has been a really long season. And they go, oh, if, if somebody would have just told me there's a light at the end of the tunnel, I could have made it through. People are constantly telling you that. It doesn't help. You, the only thing that helps, I'll tell you the only thing that helps, and this isn't even in my notes. The other night I called up my buddy who has like one-year-old twins. And he, he called me and we were at dinner and so I called him back. And he picks up the phone and I can hear babies, two babies screaming, wailing in the background. And he's like, dude, I gotta call you back. My kid just blew chunks all over my floor. And I said, don't worry, buddy, it gets better. And then I just hung up and I smiled and I laughed. That's when it helped me. That's when I realized I'm not dealing with that anymore. That's really nice. Let me bequeath some wisdom to you. And you know what? It did not help him at all, right? That didn't help him at all. Don't worry, buddy, it gets better. There's a light. Eventually, you're just driving them around like they need a taxi, right? So, I mean, that's that. It, different phases, different seasons, but it, I realized in that moment, like, there, there's like, like a futility to sort of this thing. Uh, and, and so then, so we know that that's the, you know, like the present text or the context of, of this talk, and yet it's very, f like, ornate, flowery, sort of poetic language in here, right? It kind of feels like you could have just said that. Instead of like these 12 verses that we just walked through that were very all over the place, it kind of felt like, uh, uh, like there should have been some background music or like this was a part of a movie, movie with like a narrator, Matthew McConaughey sort of thing, black and white footage of national parks, right? And atmospheric uh, music that goes behind this sort, sort of thing. But his advice seems to be, heed my words, listen to what I've learned uh, in this long life. Perhaps you can know in advance what I only discovered after the fact. Or another way of putting it, learn from the arc of my life and maybe you'll be able to remember what you haven't yet experienced. Learn from the arc of my life and perhaps you can remember 
And I put that in quotations because it's not really, you know, it, you're remembering before you've even experienced. We often remember things that we've experienced, but he's trying to say in this dispensing of wisdom, perhaps you can remember something without actually having gone through it and I can save you from scars along the way. It is kind of like, don't worry, buddy, it gets better. But it's, it, I, think it's, I think it's more than that. I think that, I think that that's a recognition. I'm gonna keep doing this because I care about you and I'm trying to do this. And yet the teacher's old enough to know that sadly youth is rarely primed to receive such a gift. And then the poem sort of gravitates and goes back and forth between gratitude for the, you know, the gift that is life uh, and then uh, a somber sort of uh, vanity piece uh, of this. Or maybe gratitude in the midst of vanity is a better way of putting it. But And that word vanity... I want to be able to define that or walk us through a definition of that real quick. Because in other translations, it says uh, meaninglessness, uh, everything is meaningless. They'll say everything is uh, like a chasing after the wind. But uh, another way is, is saying everything's like a sort of like a vapor. And I like that kind of a word picture in this. Because a vapor is a mist that you can see is there, but good luck trying to grasp it. And every time that you do, it fades away and all you're left with is kind of a little bit of damp hands, right? It's there, I can, I can see it, I know that it exists. I, and trying to describe with kids and you're being like, it's like, it's a smoke, but it's not really smoke. It's water vapor, it's, it's water, but it's not really water. And you're just like, I don't even know if you're getting this and we're just wasting our time with this. But this author is trying to say, this is when, what I've seen in life with all of the access to all of the things that I thought would make me happy is that every time I've tried to grasp it and bottle it and say, that, that will make me happy, I grasp it and there's nothing there. And all I'm left with is like this residue that teaches me that there is something there, but it's not what I thought it was. It's like a vapor. Everything is sort of like this, this vanity piece. In light of that, rejoice while you're young. Be young, even though it's hard to understand youth until you've lost it. Remember whose you are as image bearers of the creator creatures who have, uh, whose every fleeting breath is given. And then he goes into this analogy of things that begin to fail, right? A grasshopper who lacks desire, uh, who, whose life is no longer energetic and bouncy. It's, it's just nothing, right? When things begin to break down, they're no longer useful. A cord that has been snapped in half, a bowl that no longer carries water. Uh, a, a wheel that has been broken, and it's been broken at the well. It says a, a broken wheel at a cistern. I mean, I've gone there to get water, and now I'm because I was thirsty, and now I can't even get there or get home, or I'm, I'm stuck. I've got other things going on. It's to have all of these expectations of how things are going to play out, and I'm going to have this big plan of being able to do my life, and then things just fail as they do. And he's like, it's all a vapor, man. It doesn't matter in this way. The good and the bad, all of vapor and everything, eventually everybody returns to the creator who gave it life in the first place. It's both somber and uh, whatever. And it's definitely one of those things that um, if I was to be like, and we're just gonna close in prayer and do communion now, you'd be like, God, that was depressing, man. Church is supposed to be so much better than that. Like he's gotta work on that. I don't know what he did all week, but um, this is, uh, if it was just there, if it ended right there, that would be a really difficult thing to do. That's the interpretation of the text. He's left us sort of, hanging with, with this and, and working with this. And I think it's intentional. I think it, it's a very stark contrast to the Proverbs, which was another book of wisdom for them that was far more positive and far more like if you're, you know, I'm a type A, I like to get things done and like I'm polished and all this kind of things, then you probably love the Proverbs because it feels good. And then the Ecclesiastes is sort of like a pulling back of that to be like, well, it's not always like that, right? I mean, everything kind of is vaporish a little bit too. So in that tension and in that balance is kind of where we find a lot of our, depending on which season you're in, which time you're choosing to inhabit or find yourself inhabiting, 
based on where you've come from and what your outlook is, perhaps this resonates uh, a little way. So I'd like to close out our, our, uh, our series and, and kind of spend the rest of our time for the next little bit talking about a takeaway thought on how do we deal with this? What, what does this even mean for us and how does this affect my daily life? I think there exist in life conversations that you're not ready for. In, in the way that this whole thing is about somebody who's well along in years talking to a youth who's just not ready to hear it because we never are, those sort of things happen within our lifetimes uh, a lot and show up even in the New Testament uh, with Jesus as well. The one specifically I wanna look at today shows up in the book of John, which is the fourth of the four gospels that make up the first part of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Everything that we know about the person of Jesus uh, in terms of like from a historical or here's where he went and here's what he said and here's who he healed shows up in in those four passages written by four different people who have different perspectives and different reasons for writing. Um, uh, Matthew was one of Jesus' disciples, says, I was there when these things happened. Mark got a lot of information from Peter who was there. Luke said, I interviewed everybody I knew. Here's what they thought. And, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospels in that their presentation of where Jesus was and where he went and what he did uh, follows kind of a similar timeline. And then you have John, which kind of stands out on its own. It is one of the four, but it's the most different of the four. It was written last. It was written with all three of the others already in circulation. So why in the world, if you knew that there were three things, three you know extensive topics of, of, of a person out there, why would you feel the need to write another one? And for him, he's like, because I was in his inner circle. And, and John was a more of an emotional sort of person as you can kind of read in there. He, he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Even that has like a certain level of arrogance to it, but like innocence too. Like you're just like, do you understand how arrogant you are? I don't think you do. Like I'll, I'll give you a pass on that because I don't think you understand it. But he, um, he writes from a, this is the Jesus that I knew right? I, and he begins his whole thing with this idea of the logos of God, the, the thing that I think exists out there in the universe. If there is a universal divine being behind everything, I believe that he made himself known through the person of Jesus, and I spent time with that person, and here's what I know about him. That's essentially how he prefaces his entire gospel. Then he begins to kind of go through. His timeline's all jacked up because he doesn't care about people you know, going, I thought they went there then. And then he's like, ah, that doesn't worry. Don't, don't worry about that. Look at the stories of this. Look at, look at how he wept when, when he saw uh, his friend uh, Lazarus die. Look at the emotions involved in this, this very personal behind the scenes sort of stuff about Jesus. And towards the end, uh, this is right before he's arrested, put on trial, uh, publicly crucified, does the whole thing. Right before that, he has a conversation with the disciples. And here's what he says to them in chapter 16, verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. In other words, I've spent so many times, so much time with you. And remember those times, John, when we would gather together, we'd go to this like public marketplace thing and we'd sit on a hillside, we'd have a meal together and I would begin to preach and teach and, and talk about the kingdom of heaven is like, is like this and it's like this and it's like this. And it would be kind of in like this, parabolic sort of coded language. And then afterwards, I would say, did y'all understand what I was talking about? And everybody would nod. And then I'd pull you aside and be like, did you understand what I was talking about? And be like, yeah, yeah. And be like, just tell me what it was. Oh, we didn't understand it. Sorry, man. And so he's like, I I knew you didn't. Why did you nod and say, okay, let let me explain this to you. Let me walk you through what I was trying to say. 
Here's what the parable of the sower means. Here's what the parable of the tares and, and the wheat means. Here's what all these different things mean for you. Who to go on and explain these things to them? So in, in this way, he's like, um, I, I have, I have, I've led you through some different things. I have engaged in what I want to call progressive revelation with you. Progressive revelation is simply this, that things are revealed to you along the way as you need to know them, that you have done this with your family. You've done this in education. If you've gone through the public school system or any sort of education system, you learn things at different ages that you need to know. And you, you, don't, you aren't taught geometry when you're at algebra levels. You, you, you work your way into those things. Some of those things transfer over and carry, and some of them don't. But this is how this thing works, and it works in the way that you raise your kids too. And here's how I know that progressive revelation has worked for you in your home if you have kids, because you've had and answered this question. You've had this question asked of you and answered by you. Where do babies come from, right? And in a progressive revelation standpoint, you say, how old are you? Or you filter things through them. And then you would say, well, they come from, and then you begin to kind of explain whatever it is that you want to explain. I'm not going to tell you how to parent, but this is how you do it. You, you, and, and then you've, you use little figures and be like, well, here's, and, 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 you know what I mean? And this is what they need to know when they're four. And that's, or there's a stork that delivers them once. That's, I'm not, I'm, I am lying to them, but I'm lying to them with a purpose. This is what they need to know now. And even, even then when you kind of upgrade it and you'd be like, all right, now, 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 you're, now you need to know this, right? Because you're about to go to school and some teacher's gonna do it and teach it for you. And so I don't want you to be the dumb kid in the class and be like, what? You know, and, and be like, that's not how it works and just completely embarrass yourself. So let me tell you how it works. And, and even then, even then you finish those conversations and you'd say, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Honey, listen, you're 12. Here's the, here's the basics that you need to know, but there's more to this than you even know. But you, you couldn't bear the information if I told you that. It would be like despair. It'd be like, well, why am I built this way? All, right, all this kind of stuff. So I'm just gonna tell you what you need to know now and go. So, so you've engaged in progressive revelation, right? And even when you read through scripture as a whole, I think what we see a lot in the Old Testament is the God of Israel, the Yahweh God, engaging in progressive revelation with his people, telling them what they need to know, not giving them the full picture or revealing his full deck of cards to them, but saying, here's what you need to know now. Here's what you think about that. And then we're gonna draw you into a new thing. We're gonna move forward with this. An example, real quick, um, Genesis starts off with like really narrative stories about like you have the creation story at the very beginning, but then you have the, the buildup to the establishment of a nation of Israel, Abraham being called out of Ur and into this, you know, into this unknown land. And I'm going to make you know, this giant family. It's going to be a blessing. You're going to bless the world. I'm going to bless you. And then you're going to bless the world. That's essentially what the, you know, Genesis promises to, or the Abrahamic covenant that is made there. Um, and then at the end of the story in like, Genesis chapter 50, at the end of the book, you see Joseph leading his family uh, or inviting his family down into Egypt as guests of Pharaoh. And then when Exodus opens up, it's like a new chapter, fast forward however many years, Pharaoh has forgotten why these people are here. Instead of guests, they've become slaves. And then an Exodus sort of event is, is uh, told of them crying out to a God who they think has forgotten them. He sends Moses in, pulls them out of uh, Exodus, does the whole 
plagues thing with Pharaoh and invites them into this new land. And the promise is given here, why should we leave Egypt? Why should we follow you away? I know we're escaping slavery. That is a draw for sure. But what are we going to? What is the plan? What's the, what's the direction? And Moses says, I'm taking you to a promised land. This is the promised land that God has given us. Oh, that sounds really great. What's it like? It's a land flowing with milk and honey, right? That's a common refrain that shows up. What is, why milk and honey? Why are these images? Did they actually believe that there would be a Columbia River full of milk or a snake river of honey? I mean, what is happening? What is the flow involved in this? Of course not. Here's what they're thinking. They're hearing these two things about, and, and for them, they, they, they know, where does milk come from? Milk comes from cows who are mature enough, who have the security of a well-fed diet, a safe, you know, safe place to be able to, to sleep at night and be able to produce milk in all these ways. So they, they go, milk doesn't happen by accident. You don't just find milk. You don't like flip over a rock and be like, look, a glass of milk, right? We know where it comes from. It comes from a long process uh, that takes structure. It takes time. It takes money. It takes ingenuity, it takes all this kind of stuff. And then honey, where does honey come from? We know it comes from bees, right? And it's not like, you again, you don't flip over a rock and find honey. It's like, you have to like raise these bees. You have to build these hives, these apiaries, these things. These are products of culture. That's what they're saying. When they say it's a land flowing with milk and honey, they don't actually mean the products of it. They just mean those things don't happen by accident. Those things are a product of culture. Culture only comes when there's safety, security, time, it, we are anticipating a place that we can go to, that we can establish roots, live there long enough to see and reap the benefits of things like milk and honey. We don't really want milk and honey. We want the security of these sort of things. So he, he's, he's drawing them into this. He's trying to help them see like this progressive revelation of, I'm, I don't I don't want to. Sh- I don't want to um, give you a picture of what it is. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to uh, uh, illustrate it or or, or paint uh, something that is desirable and draw you into this. And and we're going to kind of work on what it actually is. Right? It's going to meet all those needs, but it's not going to be that. In the same way, you know, we we look at John's revelation later on in the New Testament about he's trying to describe to these people what is a what is heaven like? What does the realm of God look like? Well, there are streets of gold, right? And there's all. The, it's like. I don't think that that's, there's actually streets of gold. I think he's trying to say um, there, there's a place where what we treat as something that's rare and expensive and worth everything you could do to do it, they like walk on it. It doesn't mean anything to them. It's like, it's, it's so abundant. He's, he's trying to illustrate this and he's trying to say, listen, I'll tell you what you need to know now. What do you need to know now? You want, where it's ha- you want what it has to offer. You want to go there. You need this thing. You, as a parent, you've ever tried to tell your kids, we're going to go to Disneyland. They're like, what's it like? What's it like? And you're like, what do you do? You take things that you know that they know. Even our wildest dreams bear the imprint of what we've already seen, which is why you lead with, it's kind of like the fair, but better, right? Why? Because it's not just spinny rides. There's like roller coasters. There's not like creepy people running those roller coasters. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's nice. You're going to love this. Or it's, it's like Silverwood, but on steroids. And they're like, what are steroids? And you're like, crap, I went too far. Okay, bring it back in. You, you have all of these, uh, this example where we're trying to like, I'll tell you when you need to know. When it's age appropriate sort of things, we will begin to progress this thing on you. I wish I could, I have so much more to tell you, but you cannot bear it now. So let me tell you what you can bear and leave it sort of open-ended to draw you into something that I think is better. 
to try and explain them to me now. I was trying to, if I was trying to explain this to you now, part of it would be, one, you couldn't bear it. The other part of it is, I feel like an old man trying to tell you about youth and the vitality of your youth and how valuable it is. And you can sit there and nod and be like, yeah, it's really, really great. Yeah, time flies, man. Into the light at the end of the tunnel. Thank you for all that. And it doesn't change anything. He's like, I know I could tell you these things, but it wouldn't do what it's supposed to do for you. So therefore, I just kind of like, you know, I say, sure, whatever it is, yeah. So is it like a land filled with milk and honey? Sure, yeah. Are there streets of gold? Sure, yeah, sure. Is, 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 is Disneyland kind of like Silverwood? Sure, yeah, I mean, way better, but sure, yeah, whatever you need to know in this way, right? I have so many things that I wish I could tell you, but you're not ready to bear them at this point. In the same way that I feel like this last passage about a mentor who's well, well along in years trying to explain the futility, you know, life and it's just a futile endeavor. I wonder for me at least, and you can piggyback and, and ride along if you want, or you can be like, you have some real problems that you're working through and I'm glad you have a space to do that. Um, I wonder in what arenas or areas or instances in my life, maybe even a current one, where God is saying to me, I still have so many things that I would love to show you and say to you, but I cannot bear them now. Like, where am I in my immaturity that I'm not ready to hear and grow with them now? Where am I, where do I operate? This has been one that I've been thinking of lately too. Where do I operate with a high level of self-delusion that I am convinced is accurate? Like, I, I really try not to be, I, I'm not the kind of person who, like, operates in, like, rebellion against authority, rebellion against God, right? I'm not, I'm, I know what you want from me, but I'm not going to do it, right? I'm going to do the opposite, right? Yeah, shake my fist at God, and I'm so angry with whatever, right? That's not it. I think the danger for me, though, is thinking that I've got it figured out about what he wants or what it's supposed to look like, and then just doing it and, and moving forward. This is what I think is right, even though it's, even though that I've, I live under self-delusion that that's true or whatever. This is, and he's like, ah, I have so much for you. But you're not ready to hear from me. No, don't worry, I got it. I'm good. We're good. I'm figuring this thing out. And you're like, I want to tell you the truth, but I don't even think you'd hear it. I don't think you'd understand it right now. And I don't think that you'd get it. And Jesus is having this honest conversation with his disciples and uh I think he's having this honest conversation with each and every single one of us as well. We get to peek over their shoulders from the safety of a little bit of distance. And, and, but really, I mean, that thing is coming true for, for us too. Where is it for you? What arena of your life would you say, perhaps God is looking at you going, I have so much to tell you, but you just would not be able to bear it right now with where you're at. So what do we do with this? How do we grow from that? I would say there's two things that I'm trying to work on that I think would help me in this area. And one would be, and it has to do with time, this idea of humility. And I mean, it has to do with time because I can look back at myself a few years ago and realize decisions that I thought were right at the time were made in ignorance or arrogant, I, I'm, I'm living and I'm looking at my past self going, well, now I think I've got it together. Back then I was an idiot, right? And I can safely say that with objective knowledge, that Brent was dumb, okay? He didn't know everything, whatever. 
if I believe that about my past, how then would I not believe that I'm gonna be saying that exact same thing about where I am currently? In other words, my future self is telling, even though right now I'm operating with the level of, I know what I'm supposed to do, I know this is right. And if, I'm, if, I, if, I, if I don't even question it, then I'm not operating with any humility at all. So instead I go, listen, I'm probably doing and believing some things and operating in a way that's really, really dumb. I'm probably a, a, a parent, I think I'm a good parent and I realize that I'm, I, <laughs> I have some blind spots in my life. I'm handling this, I'm doing this, I'm choosing to say this. I, I, at my workplace, this is how work plays out. This is the kind of boss that I am. This is the kind of friend that I am. And I really think I'm doing a good job. And future me is looking at me going, you are an idiot, man. You're so dumb. So if that's true, but I live in the present, I have a foot in my past because I'm a product of my past, but I also, because of my past, know that there's going to be a future version of me looking back at me going, I wish you would have figured this out earlier. Then the best spot for me currently would be to be like, even though I'm doing the best that I can, I do know I need to operate with a level of humility, that I don't have all of these things figured out. That I hear things, I hear people saying things like, you know, prize your youth, be young, you know, all this kind of stuff. Don't worry, parenting's over in a flash. Light at the end of the tunnel and I can nod and be like, I get it, but I don't actually get it. Humble enough to say, I might not actually be getting all of the things that I'm currently think that I'm getting. All right? So that's humility, that's one piece. And the second piece then is, if I am that lost and I am that flawed and I am that broken, what do I do? Then I would say, that's where this piece of discernment begins to come in. I would actively seek and set myself up for positive discernment in my life, both from people who I think have wisdom to offer me, both from authors dead or alive, both from scripture who I'm looking at as truth, both from the way of Jesus, from an outside sort of authority in my life, I'm, I'm seeking discernment. I'm recognizing I wanna live in the current reality that I, I don't have it all figured out. I need to live with humility and I need to be actively surrounding myself with some sort of things that is pushing me towards discernment, which is why Jesus doesn't leave his disciples hanging. When he says, I have so many things for you, but you cannot bear it now, listen to what he goes on in the next breath that John writes about. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears, and he'll declare it to you, the things that are to come. He will glorify me because he will take what is mine and declare it to you, all that the Father has is mine. For this reason I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus paints them a timeline, I'm here, right? God made himself known through me, but in my, but I'm going somewhere. I'm leaving you physically, but in my absence, when I leave, what I give to you as my gift is, a, is my spirit to guide you, whose, whose role and purpose is to guide you into all truth, if you will listen for him, if you will listen for it. Who, who will speak to you. And, and, and there will be some times when it will feel like an old man trying to tell a young man about the vitality of his youth and you can choose to ignore it. Or you can say, I get it, but you don't really get it. Or you can pause long enough to live in humility, seeking discernment and saying, maybe, maybe there's something here for me. Maybe I don't have it all together. And maybe, God, if I still myself in the quiet, if I pause, and if I live in the uh, openness of humility and, and actively seek you through prayer, through meditation, through 
uh, something through the wisdom of others, through what I feel like are God-appointed sort of appointments, like that somebody said something to me at just the right time and at just the right moment and just the right place for me to be able to receive it. Am I open to that? God, I'm, I'm asking that you draw me into that. So my invitation to you is the same challenge that I'm, I'm facing. Can I work on my own humility? That's something I can actively work on. And then can I put myself in position for discernment? Can I believe Jesus when he says, in my absence, the spirit of truth comes, and he will then guide you into all truth. And he does it by various different means, and that is what we get to live. That's the promise of Jesus that we get, a gift given to us. That exists inside of us, that that exists as a, a voice drawing us into all truth. So we inhabit time in a unique space. We are both creatures of time. We are called to figure out when we are and we are called to live in anticipation of fully accepting the wisdom that is offered to us through scripture, through, through his presence, through the spirit of God in our lives to guide us into all truth. If we have the ears to hear, may we have the ears to hear. May we pause long enough. May we, <clears throat> may we hear and not just be like, yeah, 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 we're good. I get it, I'm good. I just need to try harder. I just need more money. I just need more of that. I just need more of it. If I just had this, it'd be fine. I'll be happy, right? Ecclesiastes is vapor. Vapor, good, bad vapor. All of it is really nothing. All of it is really nothing except the God going back to the creator who gives life as a gift in the first place. Then maybe we recognize that. Thanks again for listening. If you've got more questions about the church or community group options for connecting with East Lakers outside of Sunday mornings, I'd encourage you to check out our website, eastlaketricities.com, or better yet, download our app by searching East Lake Tri Cities in your favorite app store.